Nicole Parker is a former special agent with the FBI. She served in Miami from January 2011 through October 2022, and for the first four years, she worked security fraud cases, investigating multi-million dollar Ponzi schemes, money laundering, embezzlements, and more. In January 2015, she transferred to violent crime, where she worked a myriad of high-profile cases, including the high school shooting in Parkland, Florida, the 2017 Fort Lauderdale Airport shooting, bank robberies, murders for hire, suspicious deaths, sexual assaults, extortions, and more. Nicole was the only female special agent on the FBI's number one ranked violent crime fugitive task force in the United States. Prior to her FBI career, Nicole worked at a multi-billion dollar hedge fund in LA and at Bank of America Securities in New York as a VP in their prime brokerage unit. But after living through the life-changing event of working in Manhattan's World Financial Center on September 11, 2001, and witnessing firsthand the World Trade Center attack, she vowed to find a significant way to give back to her country. Before the decade was up, she left the lucrative finance industry and applied to be a special agent for the FBI. Today, Nicole and I talk about her experiences, including September 11th and working in the FBI, seeing light amidst darkness, and sharing her opinion on what we can do in response to the tragedies that surround us in the world as good continues to fight evil. Okay, Nicole, I'm so happy to have you here and so excited to see your beautiful face. It's been a few years since I've seen you in person, but we've known each other for a really long time because your younger sister was my best friend in college. So this is so fun to reconnect here. And I'm super excited to share your incredible story and your journey with the people that listen to this podcast. For anyone who is not familiar with you, can you give just like a brief overview of who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Nicole Parker, and I recently left the FBI. I was a special agent with the FBI for about 13 years. And before that, I worked in finance. I attended Brigham Young University. I've never been married. I've never had children, but my life journey is very unique. And I just want to spread light going forward and use my platform to help as many people as I can along the way. We live in a very crazy world right now. I've seen it firsthand. And I just hope to spread light, spread truth and spread hope. So that's a little bit about me. I love it. And I think it's so wonderful too that you're coming out of something that where you've seen a lot of dark things and you've been through a lot and still you see the good in the world. So I think that's really beautiful and unique about you. But let's start for anyone who hasn't heard your story. You have such an inspiring story of where your career kind of started and then something that you saw that was life-changing that led you to take a different path later on. So let's, let's start there. So I graduated from high school when I was 16. I went off to college and I studied health sciences of all things, believe it or not. And I left college and I was single. I did not have a boyfriend. And I'm like, you know what? I never thought I would be a career woman, but this opportunity has presented itself. And so I'm just going to go explore the world and see what see what's out there. And so I actually moved to New York City. I ended up taking a job with Merrill Lynch. And Merrill Lynch, the world headquarters are in the World Financial Center. And if anyone's familiar, that's very close to the World Trade Center. So I was about, hmm, I started at Merrill Lynch in 1999. And I went on to work there for a few years. And then the World Trade Center attack occurred. 
So I was working at the time for the chairman of Merrill Lynch International. His father was one of the founders of the firm, a very high-level executive. And he was a really wonderful person. And I just remember that morning going to work like I did every other morning. And my boss was actually in Japan. And his business manager was telecommuting that day from New Jersey. I went into work like I always did. And the day Mm -hmm. unfolded in a way that I could never, ever have imagined was possible. It was absolutely horrifying. I was there at my desk. My building was right up against the North Tower of the World Trade Center. So I actually was in the World Trade Center walking through the underground mall. The subway I used to take came into the base of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. So I was walking underneath in the basement at about 7.45 that morning. I went up to my office at Merrill Lynch and, you know, I was starting my day off as normal. And then all of a sudden, um, I heard a loud boom, a loud crash. And I went to the window and you couldn't even imagine what I was seeing. It was a huge gaping hole in the side of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And I had no idea what had just happened, but I was absolutely terrified. I still get emotional like thinking about it. I, to be honest, I don't even think about it that much. I obviously think about it every anniversary and I know that it happened, but this is an example of things in life you don't always have control over things that you might see. And it was horrifying. Um, As the day unfolded, I sent an email to my dad after the first plane hit the North Tower and I was standing over by the windows and then the second plane came into the South Tower. And originally we didn't know what was happening, but we assumed it was an accident. But then when the second plane hit, we knew that this this is not an accident. And I just couldn't wrap my head around any of this. I was a girl that grew up in Houston, Texas. I'd gone off to college. I I just, it was incomprehensible to me. I had no idea what I was seeing, but I felt in my heart that I needed to get out of my building. And so the workers from Merrill Lynch that were there that morning, I just felt so strongly in my heart. And I'm a woman of faith. I believe in God. I believe in the Holy Ghost. And I believe in receiving answers during very stressful times. And in my heart, sorry, I felt that I needed to stay with this one person from Merrill Lynch. My boss was gone, but I felt like I needed to stick with this one individual. And as we all rushed out, I did. I stayed with him and um, it was a, it was life-changing because although I got out, we got out before any of the towers collapsed, I was standing there watching right below the World Trade Center. And I'm a very curious person. And even though it was absolutely horrifying, it was it was incom- like like you were mesmerized by this because it was just so mind-boggling. And it got very, very bad, very, very fast. And you know, there's debris everywhere. And then people started jumping from these buildings. And in my heart, I knew that I was seeing evil. And I I knew that there was evil in this world. I just didn't know to what degree that was possible. So as dark as it was that morning, I still felt peace. And I felt peace in my heart. And I knew that I was going to be okay. And that if I made it out of there, okay. Because I was like, what is my, is my building next? Like, what's going to happen next? But I made this promise to myself and to God that day. I said, if I get out of here, I will always, sorry, stand as a witness for truth and stand as a witness of light and stand as a witness of you. I've never forgotten that. That's something that's lived with me for my entire life. I went on to live my life. That was a very difficult 
trauma to deal with for all of us that were present that witnessed that. I did. I continued to live my life and I worked in finance. I stayed at Merrill Lynch for a while. I left for a little bit. I came back to New York. I worked for Bank of America Securities. I then left New York altogether. And my sister, who you are best friends with, she was living in Orange County, California at the time. And I had never lived close to my family since I'd graduated from college. So I decided to move to Los Angeles and I worked for a hedge fund in Beverly Hills, California. And it was a really interesting experience, but there was something in my heart that I just didn't feel like I was fulfilled. And I just knew that there was something more. And I'd always made that vow to God that I would give back and serve one day. Mm -hmm. 2009, I left the hedge fund in Beverly Hills and I took a leap and I applied to become an FBI special agent. I love this country so much. And when I saw what happened that morning and I was myself ushered to safety by the heroic efforts of New York Police Department officers, the NYPD, they were amazing. They were the ones that kept saying, you've got to get away from the buildings, you know, because of NYPD. And I think the prompting I had to follow my one colleague, Mark Laurie, I was led to safety. And I knew one day I wanted to get back and help others. So I prayed about it. And I've never taken the path that everyone else has taken. I've always kind of done my own thing. You know, I I graduated Mm -hmm. from high school early. I went to college and then I went to New York City and then I went to a hedge fund. And then I just decided why not apply to the FBI? You know, I still wasn't married. I didn't have children. I had flexibility and I knew I wanted to give back. And that's what led me to the FBI. So I applied and I got in very quickly, actually, for FBI standards. I got in within seven months of the time that I applied. Some people apply and it takes them years. But the entire process, I said, you know what? God, if this is what you want for me, open the doors and let it happen. And if if this is not what you want for me, close the doors and make sure this does not happen. And as I continued through the process, which was very rigorous at the time when I applied, it just kept happening. I just kept moving through the process. And then sure enough, I was given a letter and it said, you have been selected. Your Quantico date is August 1st of 2010. And I went to Quantico, Virginia, and I went to the Academy. And at that point, I'm like, maybe I'm not going to make it through the Academy. It was very, very rigorous. And I just continued to put my trust in God. And I did make it through the Academy. I was assigned to the Miami division of the FBI. You don't get to select where you go. You get to rank different field offices, but it really is up to the FBI where you're going to go. And that's a big deal for me because I like to feel in control. Yeah. I like to feel in control and you're basically giving up your whole control. But again, I knew that if I trusted in God, he was going to use me as an instrument in his hands where he needed me. And it seemed like Mm -hmm. before that, my whole life, I kind of went where I wanted to go and where I wanted to live and where my friends were. And This time I said, you know what, I'm putting it all into your hands. So when I got that assignment to Miami, I was like, oh boy, Miami. Like, (laughs) like I wasn't excited. I really wasn't, to be honest. I didn't have friends there. I had was dating a guy who was in San Diego at the time. And I knew that he was not moving to Miami. But again, I just trusted in God. So I made it through the academy and I showed up in Miami. I worked in the FBI Miami division my entire career. And then I made the decision in the end of October of 2022, last year. And I just decided that it was time for me to move on to a different path. The FBI's, it had changed drastically from the time that I joined. And I just decided that it was time to move on to something else. So I took a huge leap. And right now I've been doing a lot of different work, but my main focus is to spread truth, spread light, spread hope. And I went through a lot at the FBI. I saw a lot. 
again, this is a moment where some people may say, you know what, it's just too much. It's too dark. Where's God? Like I went through all of this and where was God for, for me? And although I did see a lot, I have the opposite reaction. And I know that this life is not supposed to be easy, but it's through our most difficult moments that we become strong and it really refines our faith. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm doing different work. I've done some work in the media and I plan to write a book about my experiences. I think it'll be very therapeutic. And I I really think that people could benefit from some of my experiences to give them hope and light in this crazy world. What an inspirational journey. I mean, I knew a lot of that, but it's so cool to hear you just explain the whole thing and how one thing led to another and how you really let God lead you through lots of different things that maybe you wouldn't have picked for yourself or just that things went the way they were supposed to go. And, and you have such a unique experience and background and things that I feel like a lot of people feel like maybe they know a little bit about, but not a lot. And the reason why we got in touch was because of the recent school shooting. And so we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I'd first love to just have you explain just what you were talking about with you've seen a lot of dark things, but you know that there's light too. Are there any experiences in the FBI that you can think of that you could share where there was darkness and light at the same time? I mean, even dating back to September 11th of 2001, it was, it was very, very dark, very, very dark. But at the same time, there was light and there was peace. And what I've learned is that through traumas and tragedies, I have seen the absolute worst of humanity. I mean, not to, I hope this isn't offensive to anyone, but I've worked multiple homicides, murder for hire cases, extortion, sexual assaults, sexual assaults of minors, human trafficking of minors. You name it, I've seen it. Nothing really shocks me, unfortunately. And so you see such darkness and you just think, there have been times in the FBI where I thought, oh my gosh, I it's very lonely, very lonely, Mm. because you really can't talk to anyone about any of the work that you're doing. Like I couldn't tell my sister or my mom, I mean, there'd be times that I'd go out on arrest and what we call operations where we're doing a takedown when we're arresting someone. Normally, we we call it like hitting a house, that means you're going to do an arrest. We would hit the house at 6am, for example, and I would know in my heart, wow, this is very dangerous what we're about to do. But I didn't want to scare my family. And again, I'm, I'm on my own out here in Miami. So I would text my family and I'd always tell them, you know, I love you guys. And I never told them about a lot of the danger that I was involved with because I didn't want them to worry. But that's another thing I learned September 11th is always tell people how much you love them because you don't know. You just don't know when it might be your last day. Yeah. Again, it sounds very uh, sad and morbid, but we don't know. I mean you've got to live life to the fullest every single moment. I mean, you could get hit by a car, you could, but don't live in fear at the same time. So as far as seeing the difference between dark and light, goodness, I could name just so many examples. I I don't know if we want to talk about this yet, but you know, I worked the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school shooting and that was dark. That was sad. That is every parent's worst nightmare. And yeah, We can talk about more of that later, but through the darkness, I saw, I met some amazing people and 
there are so many good people who are trying to help others and to love others and to serve others and to combat the darkness. And anytime I would get into a place where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm totally alone. Like no one understands me. Like this is really, really lonely and dark. I would always turn to God and it is incredible how he will use other people to bless you. And I've been the recipient of other people's light. And in turn, that is another reason why I feel it's so important to help others because I can tell you that there were moments that I would wake up, sorry, and go to work and be like, why am I doing this? Am I even making a difference? Sometimes you work a case and you are working 24-7 day after day, day in, day out, day in, day out. There's no rest. I was on my own out here. I didn't have a family to come home to. I didn't have a husband to help me. I did not have children to bring me that joy that I know children bring. I know that children can be a handful, but they also are (laughs) joyous and they bring so much happiness. I was able to see light through little angels that Heavenly Father would send to me. Whether it was a phone call or a text message or... I mean, it was miraculous. There were times that I would literally pray and I'm like, Heavenly Father, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing right now because this seems really dark. Like, how did I even get here? I just want to live the life that everyone else is living. You know, I looked at all my brothers Mm -hmm. and sisters and they're all married and they have their kids and their families. And I know that they have their own struggles for sure, but I just felt so far removed. And even in those moments, I would all of a sudden get a text message from someone like, for instance, like a victim that I worked with, a minor um, victim of sex assault and her mother. I stayed close to a lot of these victims' parents because I genuinely care about these victims. It's not like I just work the cases and then it's like, okay, bye-bye. Like, I want to see how these people progress through life and I want to just stay very close to them because I love them. And they would reach out to me in the most random moments and say, you know what? I am so grateful for the work that you did. You literally saved my child's life. And that's when you feel the light. That's when you feel like, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Even when you feel like it's, it's just bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. God puts you where he needs you, but he's also not going to abandon you either. Again, there were so many times I'm like, I heavenly father, I cannot do this. Like, this is too much. Like, okay, I'm in too deep. I can't, I need to get out of this. And then there was always this hope and this light and this amazing beauty that would come And it would reassure me, no, I've got your back. You are not alone. I have you. Like, I've got you. Through all the darkness that I've seen, there really is light. And I think that's why it's so important that we live our lives not just thinking of us, me, 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 what do I need? Because you could be the answer to someone else's very, very difficult life. You know, they might be in a very difficult predicament. And If you're in tune to know, God will use you to help other people. And I know that I have been able to be used to help others, but I am so grateful for the amazing people that have been there to help me. So, you know, I want to share something about, this is also, I apologize for being so emotional. It's just, these are things that, you know, I don't really talk to people a lot about since I've left the FBI, but now that I've left, I kind of have a little more freedom to speak. And I hope that your audience will understand the sincerity of my heart and that I really hope that people, I'm a genuine person. Like sometimes people think, oh my goodness, she's like a 
this FBI agent, like you see on TV. And it's not like we're humans. Like I have feelings, I have a heart, like I have emotions too. And it's not just like a movie where we're kicking doors and things like that. And there was a lot of that, but there's also a very human element to it. For me, I don't know if you know this, Corinne, but my very closest friend in the FBI was shot and killed two years ago in the line mm-hmm. of duty. And she was executing a search warrant. We had two agents that were killed and four others that were shot. And she was executing a search warrant against an individual who was doing child pornography. And after all the things that I've been through at the FBI to lose one of our own and very, my very closest, dearest friend, it was, it's been very, very difficult. But I can tell you that she was a woman of faith. She was a woman of light, a very, very devout Catholic. And I had so much respect for her. And she and I would always talk. We responded to the Parkland school shooting. And a lot of times, even at work, you don't really talk to even people that you work with a lot. I work with mostly men and they don't really open up about their emotions or feelings. But her name was Laura Schwarzenberger. And she is a true, true hero. And we used to talk a lot. After the Parkland shooting, we became very, very close because it was, I'd worked a lot of very difficult things, but we realized that we were going to need each other. And somehow God led us to each other's paths. I mean, we'd been friends since 2011, but it was just a different type of friendship after that tragedy. And it really bonded us because we realized we cannot get through this alone. And I was so grateful for her that we had been so close ever since then. And she and I would talk a lot, even leading up to the moments and the days before her death. And I consider this a blessing from God. She really was faithful. She was very religious and her family was number one to her. I would say God was number one and then her family, but their Catholic faith was so important. And she used to always tell me, in fact, one of the last conversations that we had, she was killed on a Tuesday morning and it was Sunday night. And it was almost like she was sharing with me her last feelings from her heart. And she explained to me, just like I had agreed with her 100% wholeheartedly, because we'd seen a lot of dark things. She worked violent crimes against children for over seven years and then regular violent crime before that. So when I say violent crime against children, we're talking like people that are hurting children. They are doing very evil things, trafficking them, sexually assaulting them. But you know what? It's the hardest work in the FBI, but it is the most rewarding because you are literally saving the most vulnerable people. The little children need to be protected. And I have very strong feelings about that. Laura, we spoke a lot and she said, you know, Nicole, the one thing that's been able to sustain me in this darkness is my faith in God. Mm -hmm. And that is what gets us through. And I... She she told me, she's like, if it, my faith has actually become stronger, even after seeing the darkest things. And I said, Laura, that's wow. how I feel too, because you learn about certain things, but to live it firsthand and to actually see it and to see the difference between the light and the dark, the good and the evil, God and the devil, it's it's very, very stark contrast. She was always full of light. She was an artist in addition. I mean, this girl could do anything. She was so tough. She was like on the SWAT team. Like there's like no females on the SWAT team ever. Like she was on the SWAT team, but she was also very feminine, like beautiful and had two sons. And she was an artist in the very last art piece that she did. Her husband showed to me after she was killed. And it's this beautiful lighthouse. And 
it just had, it was like in a storm and we all go through life storms, but it had this beaming light and it was so powerful. And her husband said it took her so long to get this lighthouse painting done because she wanted the light to be perfect. And Mm. since she has passed away, they were going to start a foundation called Laura's Light. So it's just an example of yeah, I saw a lot of darkness, but that beautiful friendship I had with such an amazing woman who loved God so much. And even after what she went through, she was still full of faith, hope, and light. It's very, very inspiring. I don't know. I mean, in the FBI, we hadn't lost an agent in over 13 years. So it's not like FBI agents are dying a lot. So the fact that she was killed in the line of duty, I mean, we hadn't had an adversarial death in the line of duty in that long. And she was killed in the line of duty along with another agent. And I do not think it's a coincidence that I was placed in her life and that she was able to bless me with her abundance of joy and hope. And so she inspired me as well. Cause I thought, goodness, if Laura can see all that she has and she can still press forward in faith and light and still have hope. And like, she had this beautiful giggle and laughter and she was just a very happy person, but I knew she struggled with it. And since her passing, I've spoken to her husband and he would say, yeah, she would come home and and she would just bawl. She would just cry and break down because we do see the worst of humanity, but we also see the best of humanity. We see both extremes on both sides, but I am just here to tell you that regardless of what you're going through in your life, it may seem inconsequential. It may seem huge. There is hope. It's going to be okay. There is light. And I know 100% that Laura is in a beautiful place and that she is my angel. And I miss her dearly, but I know that I'm going to see her again. So, I mean, that's an extreme example, right? I mean, you don't think that you're going to wake up and and, and not come home to your children and, and die and yeah. be killed. But in my line of work, that was a possibility. And I always knew that was a possibility. And I just... I have to speak up for her light because she doesn't have a voice anymore, but she Mm -hmm. had such a beautiful message. So now I feel like I'm speaking up on behalf of her and myself and all the good people out there trying to do good things. That's an example. I saw a lot of really dark things, but through it all, Corinne, there there is hope, there is beauty, there is faith, there is light. circle back on a couple of things that you said. First of all, where you're talking about, you felt like God sent Laura to you. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's relatable with all of us that sometimes there are people that pop up into our lives that maybe at first we don't realize, but then you can look back and see like, wow, that was like an angel in my life. That was someone who I really needed. And it's funny, I could not help but think of the experience that I had with Brittany right after we graduated. And we both ended up in Orange County and I got a job, she got a job and she had been working in Orange County for a little bit longer than me. And I went to my first day of work and she said, well, let's meet up for lunch. And she said, where are you working? And I said, where are you working? And we figured out that we actually were in buildings right next to each other. So, and, and what are the odds like that we would both end up not only in the same city, but getting jobs in two buildings that were just right next to each other. So we'd go down and have lunch almost every day just down in like the little outdoor courtyard or whatever. And we went through really hard times that next like couple years. And we were just able to be there for each other that like, we couldn't have planned that. I mean, I guess we could have, but we didn't plan it. But it was like, you know, the Lord had it planned out for us. And 
I think that everyone listening to this can probably look back or even look at their current situation and say, like, there are people who've been placed in my life for a reason. And it's usually a mutual exchange where you're giving them something that they really need and they're giving that to you in return. And that's just the beauty of really special people in our lives. And the other thing I wanted to touch on, too, was where you said that there have been times where you've kind of stood back and questioned, like, okay, Heavenly Father, am I doing the right thing? Is this, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Because for me, at least in my, like, I never planned to be a working mom. And yet every step of the way where I've kind of paused sometimes and said, wait, are you sure Heavenly Father, this is what you want me to do? And every time I've had absolute total assurance, like, yeah, I know this wasn't exactly what you had planned out in your mind, but this is exactly what I need you to do. And I feel like most of us have, a different life than we planned out. Maybe somebody listening to this has it all had it all mapped out and it's just gone exactly the way that they mapped it out. But for most of us, I think life doesn't just go exactly the way that we thought it was going to go. And yet I feel like if you're getting in touch with God and you're saying like, am I on the right path? He's going to tell you if you are or if you're not. And, and oftentimes something that feels like a detour is actually exactly where he needed you to go. So I love that you're speaking to that because I feel like everyone can relate to that. You know, that is really an important element in life that I learned being here in Miami, right? right? Because when I opened that assignment at Quantico, I was like, Miami, uh, uh-uh. mm-hmm. I'm not going to Miami, you know? And when I first got here, I got to be honest, I hated it. I was like, oh my gosh, where did I just go? Like, where am I? And I even like love the beach and stuff. It was just such I a I was going to say you like the beach, right? It was just such a different culture than like New York, LA, Texas. It was just yeah. different. But now I'm telling you, I, I don't want to leave Miami. <laughs> like I love it so much. It's so beautiful. And it's been an amazing mm. experience. But I can tell you, and it, when I write my book, this will definitely be, there's so many little things that have happened where I think, this is no, there is no way that this is what I'm supposed to be doing, right? Like I have this whole other idea. Oh, I'm just going to do this, 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 this is what everyone else I saw did. Like growing Mm -hmm. up, this is what everyone else did. And my mom and my sisters. And then here I come and I'm like, uh, this is uncharted territory. I'm a lone maverick. I'm just kind of charting my own path. I have no clue what I'm doing, but every single step of the way, heavenly father, I don't know what I'm doing, but thy will be done. And if you need me to be here, I will do it. But you need to give me the strength and the courage. And I have had, there was a time, and I'm going to share this really quick because I think it's powerful. There was a time that I was just totally lost here in Miami. I was confused. I was dating a guy. It wasn't really working out the way I wanted. I didn't think it was really going to go anywhere. And I just remembered I was supposed to give us a talk in, in church. and. I was trying to prepare this talk and my mind just was blank. I was unable to come up with anything to share. And it really, it was like Saturday night. I was supposed to be speaking in church the following morning. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Like we're getting down to like T minus eight, you know, I've got to hurry up and come up with something. And it really caused me to get on my knees and pray to God. However, someone prays or whatever their belief is, that's totally fine. Everyone has their way to find peace. But for me, it's through the power of prayer. And I just remember Mm -hmm. praying and saying, God, I'm here to, I've got to speak in church tomorrow. I don't know what I'm doing, but the prayer ended up being a completely different prayer. And I, I, I will never forget. I was bawling, just crying and pleading with God. Am I where I'm supposed to be? Like, what am I doing? I am completely and totally lost. How did I get here? 
I'm never going to have the life I dreamed of here. I'm headed in the exact opposite direction that I want to be. Anyway, I remembered saying, and we're, and I don't ask for signs. I don't ask for miracles very often, but I had hit almost rock bottom. And I was like, I need to know, like, if I am supposed to be here or not be here, I need a sign. I need one mm. and I need it soon. And I kid you not, I go to church the next day. I give my talk. Somehow the words came together. I gave my talk and afterwards a complete stranger came up to me. And where I live, it's a very popular cruise location. People leave in and out of Miami and Fort Lauderdale all the time. It's the first and third largest sports for cruises. So we'd always mm-hmm. have people come to our congregation that were just there for a cruise and they just wanted to come to church to worship and then they'd go on their cruise. Yeah. So this gentleman had no idea who he was. He comes up to me after church and he's an older guy, you know, probably in his sixties and mm-hmm. he's with his wife and I'm, I'm, I have no idea who he is, but he comes up to me and he said, um, look, I don't know you, but I just want you. And he was from another location and he told me a little bit about himself. And I thought, oh, through the course of my speech, he probably realized I was single. Maybe he wants to set me up because that happens Mm -hmm. a lot at church for some reason, (laughs) because I'm like the only single person there. And he said, um, so I'm thinking, okay, here we go. He's going to say he wants to line me up with someone. No, no, that's not what happened at all it almost looked like he had tears in his eyes. And again, this is a complete stranger. And remember the night before I was praying to God, I need to know where I am supposed to be. Is this where I'm supposed to be? Because if not, I'm out of here. And I'd been in the FBI for several years at this point. And he literally told me, and he looks me straight in the eye and he said, I just want you to know, I, you are exactly where you are supposed to be. And you are doing exactly what you are supposed to be doing. And you have amazing things in store for you. That was it. He turned around. He walked out. He and his wife walked out of the church. I have never seen that man again. Wow. And someone from the back was observing this gentleman who came up to me, who knows me, a friend of mine. And he said, do you you know that man? And I said, no. I don't. He's like, wow. He's like, I figured that you worked with him. And I said, why? He said, because I was watching that man and he was very, very emotional when you were speaking. And he was emotional when he came up to you. He's like, so I assume that he knew you very well, like maybe a friend or a colleague from the FBI. I said, I have never seen that man in my entire life. And I've never seen him since. But in that moment where I said, I need to know I got the answer that I needed. And isn't that amazing how this man, if he had just said, you know what, I'm just going to go to church. Like we're here for a cruise. I don't know anyone here. I'm not going to extend myself or be friendly to anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm just here for 45 minutes and then I'm out and I'm never going to see these people again. To this day, that man does not know that he was an answer to a prayer. And I have never, ever asked for a sign like that in my entire life. And I got it. And I didn't just get it like three months later. I got it like the next morning. And that to me was a very, very important time. And then within two months, I ended up working one of the biggest cases that I've ever worked with minors. And it was probably one of the most meaningful cases I've worked for the FBI. And I just think, gosh, I'm so glad that I stayed where I needed to be to help those I needed to help. And then as my career evolved after that, I continued to find wow, this is not a coincidence. Like this is where I was supposed to be at this exact moment. And there were lessons I needed to learn, people I needed to meet, 
I just think everything does happen for a reason. And there are miracles everywhere. If you want to see them, you can see them. I could have chosen to see the darkness and the tragedy, mm-hmm. which I did see. And I acknowledge and accept that. But I also never, ever, ever let go of my faith and the light and, and seeing the miracles in the hand of God. It really mm-hmm. is pretty amazing. If we focus on the good and the light and the miracles, you will find them. So that was one of my little miracles. <laughs> also, I mean, for that guy, how many times have we had a prompting or something come into our hearts that it's like, well, I don't want to say that. That would seem crazy. I'll look like a weirdo or whatever. And that he had the courage to just go up to you and say what he needed to say that he felt in his heart that you needed to hear and that it was like life changing for you that it's it's a good reminder to anyone who like when you get a prompting, I have a friend who he always says, even if I think it's there's a little bit of a chance that it was a prompting from God, I just go with it. And I think about that all the time because it takes courage. But how much did that affect you? And it was just this huge answer to prayer. So I love that you shared that. I think that's really important. So I would love to just shift gears and talk about this topic of school shootings, especially because I feel like we have so many moms and parents that listen to this podcast who feel very helpless and feel like they see this and and they're so disturbed. I'm so disturbed that it's becoming just like, oh, this is just another air quotes, another school shooting where it's like, no, this should not be another thing. Like it's another traffic accident or something that's just like, oh, that just happens. And so many people who are feeling like, how can, what can we do? Like, what can you do as a parent? What, how can you do something that helps? Because you don't want to just sit as a parent and accept, okay, this is our new reality. Like you just have to get used to it right? because nobody wants that. I don't care what political party you are. I don't care like what your belief system is. We all want our children to be safe at school. That should just be a given. So because you've had specific like specialized experience in this field and you've seen things that most people haven't seen and you understand the inner workings and what the FBI studies as far as like what people are thinking and and how these things happen and what could have maybe prevented them. I would just love for you to speak about that. Okay. Well, this is obviously a sensitive topic. Yeah. I, I'm going to say something you're not going to want to hear, but it is, it is very unfortunate. It is happening a lot. And unfortunately it is going to continue to happen not just school shootings, but mass craziness and chaos and evil in this world. We are literally fighting a battle between good and evil. It's very obvious. I think especially in the last two years, it's become very, very apparent. I know for me, I see, I've seen so much evil that not to say I'm numb to it, I will never be numb to it. But it is, I, I, there's nothing that will happen that will shock me. I hate to say it. Like, it's really sad to say, but nothing shocks me. Because when you see people jumping out of buildings and you see children that have been hurt, I'm not desensitized to it, but I'm also realistic. So I think you want to approach life, like I said before, to live life to the fullest and to prepare yourself the best that you can. And so the school incident and all of these incidents, there are things that can take place to prevent or to mitigate the risks, right? 
Mm-hmm. Everyone has their views on certain issues. I'm not going to touch on certain topics because I don't know that it's appropriate or even relevant in this setting. I worked at Parkland school shooting. I responded to that. I had to conduct multiple death notifications. The incident occurred around in the two o'clock hour, um, February 14th of 2018. 17 individuals were shot and killed, 14 students, three adults. And I worked that incident through the night. And then I was asked to help with the death notifications. I can tell you that that is the absolute worst thing that anyone should ever have to do in their entire life is to have to tell someone that their child is not coming home. It was horrific, but the most tragic part of it was not about me. It was about these families whose lives were going to be destroyed forever. When you lose a child, there is nothing that can replace your child. I am so sorry. There is, and there's nothing that you can say to really that hole. This Parkland shooting happened five years ago. These families are still suffering such great deep loss. This is a loss that will go on forever. I do believe that you will see your loved ones in the next life. That gives me peace and reassurance, but this is a long life to live without your children. So I have complete compassion, empathy, and my heart breaks for these awful tragedies that continue to occur. So I don't want to come across as numb to it. I'm not numb to it, but I also see it for what it is. In that instance, look, there's just some people that make very, very bad choices that are evil individuals, and we can do everything in our power to try to stop them. And in law enforcement, that's our job. We try to stop evil from happening. And frankly, there's a lot of people that we stop that no one ever knows about. Behind the scenes, we are, I'm not with the FBI anymore, but we work tirelessly to protect citizens. For the Parkland school shooting, there were many warning signs of this shooter. Unfortunately, it fell through the cracks. The school knew a lot about his issues. He had been sent to a special school. He was no longer at the school. He was, he had, I think he was 19 at the time, but the school definitely knew him. The administration knew about him. They did not properly communicate to law enforcement what they should have about this individual. The individual had been, he he lived a rough life. I mean, I mean, he was raised well, but he was raised, I believe, by, and he was adopted. I believe he and his brother were adopted. His adopted mother had passed away, I believe, in November. The shooting occurred in February. So there's typically going to be a stressor that just pushes the individual over to the edge, right? Mm. Something, a precipitating stressor will typically be the breaking point for an individual who does something like this. Obviously, he had mental illnesses. A lot of people have mental illnesses and they're, I mean, I think half of this country has mental illnesses. We all deal with struggles of depression or whatever it might be at one point or another in our lives. But there are a lot of people that have mental illnesses and struggles and they don't go out and commit crimes. Okay. That's what I'm saying. There is a very big difference between someone who has a mental, a mental illness and someone who is evil. Okay. But mental illnesses do play a contributing role in many of these instances. And so we don't want to minimize that. When you're living your life and you see warning signs, whether it's your children, your children's friends, whatever it might be in your community, people that you might be interacting with, we're in a community these days where you don't ever want to offend anyone. You don't want to be judging anyone. You don't want to, Mm, you know, oh, don't say that. Like, oh, don't discriminate. And no, we don't want to discriminate. We want to love everyone. We want to have compassion. But I do think that when you see something you 
really do need to say something because there have been warning signs with many of these individuals that end up hurting people that if people had actually acted on the warning signs, it could have been prevented. But I can just speak to the Parkland shooting because there were many, many warning signs. And like I said, his, his adopted mother had, had passed away. I believe in that November, he felt like he had been bullied at a school. So he went back to the school that he attended and that is where he where the shooting took place. I think that there may be a pattern of that from from what we're seeing. Everyone has their own opinions on gun laws and I don't want to touch that because it's a very sensitive topic and I respect everybody's views. And I think that everyone needs to hold their own personal views and, and act on those accordingly. If you have a strong feeling one way or another, you can go talk to your legislatures. You need to elect individuals that represent what you believe and what you want to have happen in that regard. As far as not touching that topic, because again, I don't, everyone has a different view on that. And I've always been respectful and I, and I don't go there with people because I, you know, I, I just think I want to respect their own views from my perspective and those that I've worked with and those that do, um, school security systems, for instance, a lot of FBI agents or law enforcement end up retiring and then they go back and they end up doing, um, School security, for example, and they go do site surveys at the school and they determine what we call soft targets. A soft target is where it's not, it it doesn't have to be a school. It could be a stadium. It could be anywhere where there is a lack of law enforcement's presence, security presence, things like that, where there's a higher chance that something bad could occur, right? So if you're Mm -hmm. going to an airport, for instance, and again, these crimes can happen anywhere because I've actually worked in airport shooting, but it was after the the individuals got off the airplane. But you know that, for instance, if you're going to the airport, you've got TSA there, you've got law enforcement, you've got tons mm-hmm. of different barriers between you and the incident. So people tend to pick the sites that are the most vulnerable. And that is very, very, that's not good, right? Your children are the most vulnerable. They are the biggest treasures in this world and they have no way to defend themselves. So for instance, I know a lot of retired law enforcement, obviously I'm not doing this, but they do. They go and they do surveys on schools and other locations and they look at where their vulnerabilities are and how they can fix it and and solidify things. A lot of these people, they put in, I know in the Parkland school shooting, he tried to shoot upstairs from the f- second floor, I believe, through the window down onto the courtyard. He pulled the fire alarm. So the kids, some of the kids didn't even know that there was a shooting going on but there was a lot of kids running in the courtyard and he tried to shoot through the the windows into the courtyard. He was unsuccessful because there was very thick glass. He was not able to shoot through that glass. He used a rifle. It did not work. He could not shoot through that. He gave up on that. But this is unfortunately after he's already, other people were already deceased. So that's one thing that they always look at. Alarm systems, Security systems with locked doors, the windows, a front guard at all locations, an armed guard at all locations. Unfortunately, in the Parkland school shooting, there was a police officer and he was, he did not do his job that day. He did not go inside that school like he should have. He was, in the moment that he needed to step up, he was a coward. And I'm not trying to be rude, but that was his job was to protect that school. And he froze. He he couldn't do it. And that incident, it took six minutes for that awful tragedy to occur with those 17 deaths. Six minutes. So I think armed guards are important. I think, or a security system, obviously, the glass, the locked doors, 
the, the Parkland shooting, he walked right into the side door of the school. Uvalde shooting, he walked right into the side door of the school. It, that's a very, very common theme, actually. This instance that recently occurred, she shot through the, the door, through the glass in the door. So there are multiple things that you can do. In addition, depending on what your views are of gun control, we've got that element. But there's all these things aside from that that should be looked into very, very closely, very, very carefully. As far as your role that you can personally play, I would get involved, talk to your school administrators, see what their plan is. I know that this is such a sad thing, but kids are actually trained in active shooting now. When I was young, we would be trained for hurricanes and tornadoes. What do you do if there's a hurricane? You get under your desk and you... But now they do active shooter training with with, with young children. How terrifying is that, that your child has to do that? Yeah. It's And I got an email from our kids' school and it's like, I had such mixed emotions. Like, okay, I want them to have a plan, but also this is horrible that our kids have to have a plan. But when I watched that footage of the police officers that went into the Covenant School, I was kind of like, wait, where are all the kids? And I, don't, I still don't know where they were, but I was like, well, they did something right because most of the kids are out of these classrooms when they're trying to find the shooter. So there was a plan. There, there was a plan. They got them out of there somehow. So you do want that for your kids. Right. It's, a, it's like a double-edged sword, right? Because you want your child to be prepared, but you don't want your child to be exposed to that kind of darkness and that yeah. that fear. I mean, a, a, a child should not be exposed to that at such a young age. I mean, but at the same time, they had just done training from what I understand at that school and they performed to the best of their ability. And I agree with you. When I looked at the footage and from what I understood, they knew what to do because they had just been trained on it. Yeah, the kids were out of the classrooms. Yeah. I mean, that could have been six lives is too much. It's too much. Yeah. But it could have been much longer. I mean, there was 14 minutes from the time that they called 911 until the police arrived and eliminated the threat. I'm a huge proponent of law enforcement, and we need to support our law enforcement because they are putting their lives on the line. And that is a actually a very short amount of time to get the 911 call because imagine if you're a police officer and you're out working on other things or doing other things and then you get called into dispatch to go to a school from the time that you get the call you go to the school I mean they acted immediately and I have been trained in that yeah. I've been trained in the active shooter training I've trained in schools since the Parkland shooting I have gone through scenarios just like what those officers did of what is expected after Uvalde that was absolutely unacceptable how those law enforcement officers yeah. sat in that hallway so many of them and did not eliminate the threat. These people in Nashville, these law enforcement officers, they are true heroes. They are absolutely true heroes. And they acted expeditiously and exactly how we are trained. But you know what? There were still six people that died and six people is too much. So I think for you as a parent, educating your children, letting them know Obviously, I'm sure if your children have active shooter training, you alert them before so that you as a parent can prepare them for what might be happening at the school so that they are not scared. But it is still terrifying, I'm sure. But making sure that your child knows what they should do, that you have a conversation with them, you personally, that you know what the school administration is doing, who the teachers are, what they're planning to teach your child. And also get involved with the school. Know if the school would be considered a soft target. Like I said, the incident in Nashville, we just learned today that 
she had actually targeted a different location, but it was, there was too much security and it wasn't soft enough of a target. And so then she went and surveyed this other location, which is the school and the church attached. And it was a, it was a soft target. And that's why she went for that location. Wow. You want your schools and public places to be fortified as much as possible. Um, We can't control everything, but there are certain things that either you or your school system can, can control. And as far as doing your part and making sure that the school is secure as much as possible. And then the other aspects of it, um, you know, that that's really needs to go through your legislatures and things like that. But as a parent, again, because I've had to do death notifications, it's, it's, it's horrifying. You don't want to lose your child by sending them to school. And it shouldn't be a fear that parents should have to live with. It's just not. We live in a world where we can't always control things. That's the one thing I've learned. You are many times going to be the recipient of someone else's bad choices because you can Mm -hmm. go through and teach your child and do everything in your power and talk to your legislatures and do everything in your power. But there's still people in this world. We don't live in a vacuum and you may be the recipient of another person's evil acts. And that is unfortunate. That is awful, but it is the fact of life. I mean, those people in the World Trade Center, they were vaporized within seconds when that plane hit that building. They didn't do anything wrong, but they were the victims of other people's evil and bad choices. I've seen it time and time again, and it's not fair. It's not fair. But at the same time, we can just do our part to be the best person we can be and be prepared in every way possible and teach your children what you deem appropriate if they were involved in an incident like that, get involved with the schools, know who is around in your community. If you see something, say something. If you hear something off, say something. Never be afraid that you're judging someone if you hear something that is off because a lot of times there are warning signs and people just, they don't know or they don't want to appear as as judgmental. And, you know, we want to be loving and compassionate. I think you can alert someone without being judgmental or being mean. But at the same time, you want to protect, protect your children, protect society and protect the community. Yeah. Thank you for all of that advice. It's it's not a fun thing to talk about, but I feel like it's really, really important and that people have lots of questions. And I appreciate your guidance and your you sharing your experience with, with everyone. Okay. One last question for you, Nicole. If there's one message that you want the person listening to this podcast to remember, what do you want that one message to be? I would say to live life fearlessly because there's a lot to fear out there if we choose to focus on the darkness Mm. and life is short. And like I said, you don't know what it could be your last moment, but don't live in fear. Live to the fullest every single day and live life fearlessly. Be full of light, love others. You ask for one thing and I guess I'm giving like a hundred, but it all kind of goes together. Have no regrets. Yeah. Have no regrets. None. That morning of the uh, September 11th terrorist attack, when I thought it might be my building that was next, that was another soul-searching moment where I'm like, I mean, I was only like 22, 23 years old, but I was like, if I die right now, am I ready to die? Am I ready to die? I can tell you, I've been in probably a handful of other times in my life where I could have died or it could have gone a different way. And it's the same feeling every time. Am I prepared to die? You get one chance on this earth. 
make it count, live life fearlessly, love with all your heart, spread light, and have no regrets. I love that. Where can people find you, Nicole, if they want to follow along, they want to see when you write your book, they want to hear or read the things that you're putting out there and all of the light and, and love and wonderful things that you're sharing? So I am on Instagram for the first time in my entire life, because again, in the FBI, you stay completely off the radar. So my Instagram mm-hmm. is Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, Parker, USA, Nicole Parker, USA. So I... I've been told I need to branch out on social media, but I'll be honest, it's not really my thing. It's not really what I love to do because I, I kind of still do like my privacy, even though I'm kind of out in the public. I've also appeared on Fox News several times talking about current events and things going on. But yeah, if you would like to follow me on Instagram, and I do, I hope to write a book. I'm going to write a book. I hope a publisher will pick it up. I'm working on all of that now, but please, If I can ever be of help to anyone, I just want to help people and inspire. I've been helped so much. There's no way I could get through what I have without the love and support of others, even strangers that have helped me. So I just want to help as many people as I can. And now that I've left the FBI, I can speak out because before I couldn't say anything, like you have to be so off the radar. And I hope that I can use my experiences and those of the people around me to spread love and spread light. Well, I think you're doing a beautiful job and this was so wonderful today. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.